Greetings, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Unleashed. I am your guest host, Quinn Phillips, sports anchor and reporter at Global Edmonton. Uh, yes, the sports person doing a business podcast, but we can do that today because we're flipping the script a bit and having the regular host of Unleashed, Jeff Tess, join us as our feature guest for a very important conversation. Businesses are at risk of getting left behind as the economy begins to open up and the decisions you make right now will have a big impact on how well you recover. In today's episode, we're discussing accelerating out of the curve. I can do a sports reference there. We all have seen Connor McDavid accelerate out of those, those curves. And we wanna talk about the three approaches to increase the odds that your business will emerge from the pandemic in a strong market leading position. And, we're giving away a $50 shop local gift card today as well. Be sure to check out the bonus offer section at the conclusion of today's episode to automatically enter into the draw. So now it is my pleasure to introduce to you our guest host today, Jeff Tetz, CEO and partner at Results, is passionate about helping leaders build great workplaces. For over a decade, working alongside a seasoned team of business advisors, he's been introducing mid-sized companies in Western Canada to the power of execution, discipline, and how transformative it can be for a business. Jeff brings a well-rounded perspective to leadership, having spent time on the corporate side of professional sports at the National Hockey League and the Canadian Football League with the Edmonton Oilers and Edmonton Eskimos for Edmonton football team, respectively. I did it. Tets also spent two decades on the coaching and player development side of sport, working with high-performance athletes as a coach. And as many of you know, he is also the proud host of Unleashed. I mean, for now, we'll see what happens today. Away from work, he serves on the board of the Brain Center and is the founder of Santa Yeg, an organization focused on feeding Edmonton's homeless during the winter months. Welcome, Jeff. Hello, Quinn. This is uh, kind of how the other half lives, I guess, eh? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I think, yeah, now I think, you know what it's like to be in the hot seat. Yeah, I, don't, I still don't know that. I've never been interviewed. I do all the interviewing. Well, we'll have to uh, we'll have to change that someday. This is uh, this is a real thrill to, again to be on the other side of uh, be on the other side of this conversation and to be doing it with you. So I've been a big uh, a big fan and admirer of you on Global for uh, for many years, and I, I'm not sure how well known it is from the audience today of the other uh, famous connection that you have. So I, I certainly grew up listening to your father on the radio. Rod Phillips, of course, was the uh, was the voice of the Oilers on the radio for what, 30, 37 years? 37 years, 3,542 games, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was so amazing that uh, even if we were at home, we'd have the TV on mute and we'd have the radio cranked up. So I could certainly see where your enthusiasm and love, uh, love for sports and media came from. Uh, what a story you could tell uh, with your childhood. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been in a Stanley Cup parade, probably the pretty cool, pretty like the coolest thing for sure. But what's funny is that my mom was actually a business owner and a business manager of a vet hospital, and I didn't take to any of her business <laughs> I always just followed my dad around <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have chose the same yeah 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 your whole path could have been different yeah that's right exactly <laughs> so uh, so jumping into to the conversation today Quinn um, I'm just trying to think like a good place for us to start today and it might be just sort of along the lines of 
results as in general in terms of sort of what we do. And I, I, I joke a lot with colleagues that I, if I could come back and do something else, I want, I'd probably want to actually be an organizational psychologist. I just love the research that's coming out about business today. And uh, when, uh, when I sort of get asked what, what results is all about, I often talk about unleashed uh, potential and that every single person in every single, every single company uh, has unleashed potential or um, untapped potential, but for various reasons, it's difficult for us to see that. And it's even more challenging for us to do something about it on our own. And I also find it pretty interesting now that I think most business owners would agree that we're living in a world right now where the external environment of running and building a business is probably as unpredictable as it's ever been, but the internal environment has never been more predictable. And yet most companies aren't taking advantage of simple strategies to take control over the internal climate. And that comes back to all the available research we have now on leadership and culture and accountability and the, and the type of atmosphere that tends to lead to high performance and better outcomes externally. So that's kind of what we do is we help leaders remove chaos, confusion, and complexity from their businesses. And because really complexity and confusion is the killer of growth, engagement, and high performance. It was chatting away there and I forgot to do my job. I was supposed to ask you that question, but uh, we'll move on from there. So what does it mean to accelerate out of the curve? Yeah, so we're a big fan of, uh, of stories and analogies. And I'm, I'm kind of known internally on our team as probably the king of bad analogies. But I think the race car one is a good one. And you mentioned Connor McDavid, and I think that holds true as well. But when we look at the top race car drivers, here's what we know about the ones that win, is they don't wait for the straightaway to start accelerating. And so what, what they do is when they're still in a period of uncertainty, which would be in a turn where they're slowing down, and if you go too fast into a curve, you can certainly hit the wall and your race, uh, your race day is over. But if you come into it with a certain level of risk tolerance that's a bit higher than everybody else around you, and you can start to hit the accelerator just a little bit sooner, when there's still a fair amount of uncertainty, those are the drivers that tend to be more successful over time. And so from a business sense, it really means taking action with imperfect information. So we can't stay in limbo. So the question then becomes, how do we put ourselves in the best position to thrive post-pandemic. Okay. We're going to get into more of those in a minute. For sure. Um, but, you know, how are leaders feeling right now? This is such a tough time. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I think that's a good question. And, and, I think, uh, and I think it's important to avoid blanketing people in one category or another, because I think it's a mix and it's a range. And everybody's experience, although we're going through the pandemic at the same time, is very unique. And I, and I think, though, there is, there's kind of clearly becoming a divide, though, where there are businesses that have figured out a way, whether it's because they're in industries that were more buoyant, or they've perhaps just made different decisions or had different resources available to them, are thriving. So there are a lot of businesses right now that are feeling really good about not just the future, but are feeling really good about their outcomes right now. But then there are other businesses, whether it be industries that have just been hit so hard and, uh, and are kind of powerless to do anything proactively about it, like hospitality, uh, tourism and travel, you know, the hotel industry as an example, 
they've just been uh, you know brought to their knees the event industry as an example uh, so you know there's not a lot that people could have done to uh, find revenue and, and money when there just is not an industry there's no customers in those businesses in a lot of cases right now for various reasons so i think it really is a mix so you're kind of either healthy or, or you're struggling there's a ton of uncertainty in the marketplace so no matter how your business is doing if it's stable or if it's struggling and i think it can be confusing and overwhelming and but it shouldn't have to be that way so if we can be a bit more intentional about our approach, like our leadership credibility goes up, our morale improves, and we can attract more talent as we start to have more confidence with the morale in our existing team. The risk though, is that if we don't act, then we could actually start to lose credibility with our, with our existing people as leaders. Uh, we miss out on people's discretionary effort, their creativity, their ingenuity, and worse, if we lose ground on uh, on our competitors today, there's some pretty good statistical evidence through historical downturns that it's not just about lagging behind today, but you'll still be behind the competition as much as three years later, if not worse. And I have a pretty good idea, you know, being a business owner myself, like this has been a big struggle for us in the last year, like a year ago when the pandemic first hit, you know, the first couple of weeks for us, every time my phone rang, it was a customer calling to either pause their engagement or cancel it outright and you're sitting there with no historical sort of context for what a uh, the reaction of an economy is to a pandemic and you're thinking that our business could actually implode completely like are we really going to go to zero revenue over the next two months thankfully it stabilized but using some of the approaches that we're going to talk about today our business is now doing as well as it has ever done. And we still have some ground to make up, but we're accelerating out of the curve ourselves because of some of these approaches, as are uh, many of our clients. So I think that there's something in this discussion for everybody, whether your business is on solid footing or you're sort of struggling and wondering if your business might still make it through. I think there's pieces here that, that we can take out of this conversation and apply it to either of those situations. I want to ask just specifically about leadership. You know, what are some of the qualities that are are going to help leaders get their people through these tough times? Yeah, Quinn, good question. And uh, there's there's some pieces on leadership we'll talk about uh, probably even in more in more in depth. Uh, but I, I think number one, it's uh, we're seeing genuine humility from the leaders that are galvanizing the commitment from their team. When things are really uncertain, there can be a tendency to over communicate confidence or or false confidence because I, th I think a lot of times as leaders we take such a high amount of responsibility for our people and the outcomes of our business that we want to have all the answers and oftentimes when things are running smoothly we feel like the business is fairly predictable the economy can be generally predictable so we feel pretty in control of having the answers for our people and the evidence would show us and the research would tell us that the more uncertain things are, the less certain we have to be as leaders. Now, it doesn't get, a, it doesn't get us off the hook for making decisive decisions, but, uh, but we do have to be a lot more collaborative and humble in our approach. So I would say that that's a, that's a really big one. Um, I want to even like dive deeper just into to the personal side. I mean, they have employees that are going through hard times. Um, you know, what is your suggestion to leaders right now, you know, to be vulnerable with them or, you know, like to get them through this mentally as well? Yeah, I, I think it's important to not make any assumptions. I think that uh, there's no there's no substitute for a one on one connection and a conversation on an ongoing basis. 
there isn't one broad brush approach that's going to work for an entire business like a and, and there's been so much uh there's been just so much documented about the individual experiences that people are going through i mean the pandemic has been especially difficult on women uh, especially women that have children at home because by and large the you know the caregiving responsibility falls to them so so part of it is just trying to have open conversations with people about how they're experiencing it and trying to come up with some strategies to adjust work schedules to be understanding of uh, the amount that we can actually take on and so often we don't know that somebody is struggling and we're prepared as leaders i think to adjust the expectations and the environment to accommodate but we don't have the information so we can't do it so we think everything's okay and yet we're, we're not seeing somebody struggling because we actually don't see them in person for the most part we're talking through zoom so you know it's the it's the connection and the understanding the deep understanding of how people are actually feeling is a really important part to that yeah you just have to hope that they're ready to be open with you hey yeah and it's just um, not, it's not going to be one conversation that can do that either right and the better your relationships were coming into the pandemic the stronger they are now the pro and this is another research-based uh, statistic that we have now loose relationships before the pandemic have gotten even worse close relationships have gotten stronger uh, in, a, in a general sense so yeah it's a good it's a good point quinn all right so uh what's the approach for accelerating out of the pandemic right so there's a lot of different things that we can try as businesses and i mean if we uh if we even just took a poll of the audience and said you know write down or put in the in the chat the three things that have served you the best in the last year we, I'm sure we would see some patterns, but we would also see some outliers. And that's one of the things I love about businesses. In some ways, in some sense, there's no rules. You can kind of play by your own rules and make it up as you go and, and recalibrate as, as things work and as things, uh, as things don't work. But we've tried to make this really simple. So we've come up with, uh, with three approaches for accelerating out of the pandemic. And the three approaches are basically, number one is take care of your own backyard, so to speak. So, so clean up your own house. The second category is grow your audience. And then the third one is lead with hope. So when we talk about the first one, so as we get into the uh, sort of the clean up your own backyard and take care of your own house, there's a few things that are part of that. And, and number one is act with urgency. The second one is think like a scientist. And the third one is the pull of problems. So when we, what I mean by that is the acting with urgency part, I continue to find it somewhat alarming uh, the lack of clear planning that a typical company has. And if I, when I ask the question, you know, if you give a human, typical human being 12 months to accomplish something, when are they going to get started? Month 11. So we're kind of creatures of, of habit and procrastination. And if we don't have a really clear plan that can focus our, our employees' activities and actions and occupy their thoughts, they're going to occupy those thoughts with something else. But the worst part is there's going to real, there's really going to be a lack of urgency. So part of this planning piece is not to just have a reasonable idea of what you need to accomplish in the next 12 months, but it's in, a, in times of uncertainty, it's more important to have short-term goals. And the short-term goals will do a couple of things is they will rally your entire company around a focused, uh, a focused challenge or obstacle hurdle. Uh, the, the second thing, though, is it increases the amount of urgency. And along with that, it actually can bring some resiliency to the table, because if people feel like they've got short term goals that they're reasonably in control of achieving, they will have a lot more confidence that they can 
actually do the thing that you set out to do. So even if things are tough and you're struggling, you can still create this sense of like high morale and engagement. The, the second part is, is think like a scientist. And, and here's what we mean by think like a scientist is to ask yourself the question and, and to get the leaders in your business asking the, uh, asking the same question is, what would my biggest regret be if the pandemic ended tomorrow? And whatever that answer is, is a very personal one I know, but here's what happens. And this has happened, you know, being in Alberta, especially, we have seen the ups and downs of, of a commodity market and an oil and gas economy for decades. And every time we go through a downturn and we come out of it, one of the common sentiments amongst leaders is they wished they would have used it differently. They wished they would have used it more wisely. So write down the answers to that question, and that will help you then start to figure out what are the things that we could or should be working on right now to make our business more efficient? Do we have good enough connections with our customers? Uh, are there some processes that are broken or inefficient? Are our leaders equipped to lead their teams? And do we have some capacity right now that we could actually invest in some training of our people? So there's 101 things on that list. But if we start to figure out what are the things that we really, really wish uh, we could fix or the things that frustrated us before the pandemic and just make some incremental improvements in a few of those before this thing is over, you will position yourself in a stronger position to recover faster. And then the third so, piece, well, so go ahead, Quinn. Just, just quickly, you know, yeah. they, they wish they had used it differently. It's not too late now, is it? No, it's not too late. And that's, that is a, another, this Jim Collins has actually done some research on that very question. There's a, uh, there's a, there's a, a, a term that, and a concept that Jim Collins talks about, which is the, uh, the 20 mile march. And without getting too deep into it, basically the story goes that there were, there were two different expeditions in, in like the early 1900s that had the same goal, make it to the South pole and back uh, safely. And in one of the expeditions, everybody perished. And in the other expedition, everybody lived. So you, you, you try to figure out what were the characteristics of the group that made it. And one of them was that uh, they had a 20 mile march. So the team that survived every single day, whether the climate was good or the weather was really challenging, they found a way to go 20 miles. So when the weather was really good, 20 miles wasn't that much of a problem, but they wouldn't overexert themselves. So they'd have energy for the next day. And especially if there was a surprise with the weather, they'd have a little bit more energy to tackle a tough day. If they woke up and the weather was really bad, they would still find a way, even though it might take twice as long, get to that 20 mile mark. And in those days where it was tougher, the team had such a sense of accomplishment that even though they were exhausted after, after facing some of those conditions, the resilience that they had and the confidence they had in the group and in each other uh, was dramatically increased. And so what Jim Collins has recognized is that the same concepts uh, are existing uh, exist in successful companies. And thankfully, if you don't have a 20 mile march yet, the research would tell us that it isn't too late. The thing is to get started though, don't you know, waste another minute, try to figure out what your daily march, what your daily goal um, uh, is gonna be. So yeah, it's a good question, Quinn. So the third piece then is the uh, underneath, underneath clean up your, uh, your own house is the pull of problems. And here's what we mean by that. The brain responds in a remarkable way when it has a problem, a clear problem to solve. And a simple exercise, I mean, if I, if I ask the audience right now to just take 
five seconds and find everything on the screen in front of them that's red and then to close your eyes and list all of those things that you found it would be remarkable everything you would start to find in the next five seconds that you might not be aware of well it's the same thing with problems companies that are able to really rally their employees around uh, um, a common goal and a common effort and adding value into the marketplace are clear about the problem or the problems that they're solving and so the other part of that then is also figuring out are you solving problems that actually exist sometimes we get really really sort of uh focused on solving problems that our customers or our prospects don't actually have so it's important to ask them as well but if you go around uh, a successful organization and you ask them what is the value that our company provides in the world what's the clear problem that we're trying to solve the more of your employees that can have a similar answer, the better odds you have of people really pulling in the same direction to solve those problems, which again, provides all kinds of benefit in the marketplace, more customers, more loyalty, more referrals, you can charge more for what you do, uh, all these kinds of desi desired outcomes that we, um, that we have as leaders will be sort of the benefit of that. So then the second, you keep going. <laughs> what, okay, no, no, that's a good one. I, I, I want to go to the second one, Quinn, too, but I wanted to pause just in case you had any, uh, if you had any commentary or any, any questions. Not for that one, no. Okay. Sounds good. So the second How category, yeah, no, that's good. So the second category, once we start to get things in, in order in our own house, then it's kind of, we're starting to look outwardly and uh and there's a there's there's a few things in terms of growing your audience uh, that have worked well uh for us and and many of our clients and i'm gonna start with a bit of an interesting story now has anybody ever heard of a pilot fish so if anybody's ever watched shark week you have probably seen these rather small fish that are all over a shark everywhere they, they kind of just mirror the shark where wherever it goes and every time I every time I see these uh, you know these underwater uh, uh, nature documentaries, I always wonder why does the shark not eat those fish? Because it looks exactly like the fish that they're already trying to hunt and find in the ocean. And here's the thing about it: is that these small pilot fish and the shark have a very symbiotic relationship, but they're very unlikely partners. And basically what happens is the shark makes it easier for pilot fish to find supper. So the pilot fish will eat all kinds of debris that's left over after a shark kill. But the other thing that we have found out now is that these pilot fish are actually helping the shark by removing parasites off of its skin. And there's even evidence that pilot fish will go in and out of a shark's mouth, cleaning debris off of a shark's tooth. And it's kind of like a, uh, an underwater dentist, if you think about it. And, but they're very unlikely partners, right? And so this is what we're finding about companies that are, have been a bit more buoyant and resilient, is that they're finding unlikely partnerships as one of these pieces. So an unlikely partnership might be somebody that looks like a competitor, and there may be an opportunity to actually do some work with them. And we've got some examples, actually. Uh, there's three electrical contractors that are fierce competitors with each other in the local market. They have now created a separate joint venture to go after larger construction projects that neither one of them could handle on their own. But now they've kind of created this Avengers of electrical contractors. So it, it's look for some of those unlikely partners. Now, the other part is 
could you stand out in a way that you're not currently? And it continues to amaze me of how generic some of our marketing messages are in the marketplace. And what we know about, uh, like there's a Purple Cow reference, it's a great marketing book that's uh, probably about 15 years old now. But the premise is basically, if you're driving by a field full of, full of dairy cows, and you come across one cow that's purple, you're going to take notice. And it's the same thing for our company. So do we really understand what makes us unique in the marketplace? Do we really understand why we're different than our competitors? Are we solving a problem better or are we solving a different problem than our competitors are solving? And then do our customers really understand clearly why they should hire us over someone else? And I'm willing to bet no matter where your company is at right now, whether it's struggling or it's on stable ground, that question is probably not answered to the degree that it could be. And if it is, how well do all of your employees understand the answer to that? Because there's some, there's some magic in that. Uh, so one of the tasks that we can have as businesses is try to, to figure out what's the only, what's, how can we be the only one in a certain category? Uh, Jerry O'Brien talks about this, a former marketing VP from Coors. If you could be the only one that does X, in an industry, you would almost be undeniable in your category. So it takes some work to do that. But if you can define it and then start to articulate, execute on it and communicate it, it can be pretty powerful for, uh, for your market growth. Uh, the other is part that, you, yeah. is that niche one of the hardest things to do? Like well, finding think, the niche? I, th I think it's hard. I think it's hard for people to define it. I, I think that, I think that's a big piece. Now, I think companies are often more different than they realize, but the problem is the way that they communicate what makes them different. There's, uh, there's actually some, some market evidence and a phrase that I like a lot that says, people don't hire uh, the best providers or they don't buy the best products. They buy the companies that communicate the clearest. And I think there's a lot of noise, Quinn, that's in the marketplace. People don't really understand from one provider to another. They all look the same. So it's kind of like just spin the dial and whichever one ends up uh, at the top of the needle, that's who we'll make the first call to. So let's not leave those discussions to chance. Let's take those a little bit more in-house and be in more control of them. So the other part is also trying to make things easier on ourselves. So when, when we get into periods of struggle, we find that our inclination is to just put our heads down and just get to work. But it doesn't have to be that way. And so one of the other things that we're finding right now, uh, companies having a lot of success with is having strategic referral partners. So if you look around, some of you may have some of those already and continue to nurture those and continue to explore ways that you can coordinate and collaborate. But if you don't have them, one of the things that we can do is to start to look around the marketplace and, and try to find out who else that doesn't compete with us is working with the same types of customers that we want to because we know that a warm referral is better than a cold call any day. So who are those providers? Who could be those key collaborative business referral relationships? Kind of like the, you know, the, the pilot fish and the shark that you can work in, in, uh, in, um, in symbiotically to help each other. And then the other part of unlikely collaborations is ask for help. There's some evidence that tells us we're more afraid to ask for help than people are to provide it. And it, it, uh, it, it can be tough sometimes, when we, especially when we're in a pandemic like this, we don't necessarily wanna bother somebody, but the research would tell us the opposite, that asking for help is one of the ways, not only to become more successful, but to become more successful faster. And, uh, and in periods of uh, downturn and, and strife and struggle and adversity, 
it can be advantageous to actually generate some loose connections and loose ties to sort of reach out with people that are actually not in our direct community or, or in our direct network. And I think we've seen a lot of cases in this last year where people that we don't know are even more open-minded and willing to help us, but they can't if we don't ask. I mean, even this would be a good example today, Quinn. I mean, I, we didn't really know each other and you know, reached out and asked if you would help us with this. And, and uh, lo and behold, you said yes. So there's, uh, there's some evidence right there. Because <laughs> I'm a really nice person. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're a very nice person. Exactly. Yeah, and very good at your job. So we're lucky that you're here today. Um, so another component to growing your audience is avoiding the, the allure of easy money. And we probably have all been in situations where we have worked with customers that we regret working with. They're problematic, they're challenging, uh, they're very, very hard to please. And yet it wasn't that difficult to convince them to work with us in the first place. Now, the problem with that is it often ends up eroding our brand later because inevitably, and especially in smaller markets, people are gonna know that customer. So not only do they zap our energy from our team and take up more of our time and brain power and thoughts so they become less profitable clients, they will often get in the way of us working with ideal customers later because of the relationships that they might know. So they might sour our brand. Now, the other thing that we have found in the last year is it's really seductive just to try to generate revenue by doing work that you're not great at. And while it might put money in the bank right now, it often doesn't serve us long-term. So we really have to be careful about having rigid boundaries on the work that we're great at, the work that we enjoy doing, and then the work that is difficult for competitors to do as well as we do. So rather than going into areas or, or performing work that can generate some easy money, but we might not be great at it, we're better off to play with our current pricing structure and our current, even just the structure of the services that we provide or the products that we're delivering to still do work with similar customers without the risk that we're going to water down or, um, or see our brand decline uh, long-term. And then the other part of avoiding easy money again is, is to build better. So this is an opportunity. If you've lost some customers that you're almost glad to lose, you can sort of get rid of the assholes is kind of what we say. So build your company better and, and from a position of strength. So if you have an opportunity to start saying no to, to, to some customers that you normally would have said yes to, this is a great time to sort of clean house externally. And then the last part of this is around don't be first, but be better. And this is where you have to really avoid the comparison trap. There are uh, there's some amazing examples of, uh, of how fast companies pivoted in the pandemic. And it can be really easy to get into that trap of comparing yourself to another person or another company. It seems like they've got it all figured out. They have all the answers. But the good thing here, here's the encouraging part. There's no statistical evidence of a first mover advantage. So even if you might be lagging behind right now on an idea, uh, getting into the marketplace with something, adapting to the current environment, as long as you're paying attention and you're starting to you know that path of catching up, you're not done yet. So don't, uh, don't be weary of those first movers that may have a couple of steps on you because long-term, it doesn't actually seem to matter as much as we sometimes think. Okay. Was there a third one or? 
Yeah, so Quinn, the third one that we talk about is uh, is what we refer to as courageous leadership. And uh, and there's some things that go into create, uh, courageous leadership. So the first one is they're all around creating safety. And uh, we were lucky enough actually about 10, uh, 10 days ago to interview one of the world's leading experts and researchers on psychological safety, Amy Edmondson. And if we go back about nine years ago, Google did a project called uh, Project Aristotle. And they set out to research what was the difference between their high performing teams and their lower performing teams. And you know the size of Google at that point, it was a pretty extensive search, uh, uh, research study. So it, it literally covered hundreds and hundreds of teams. And it was something like 70,000 employees that it covered. And when the results of this research came back, overwhelmingly, the number one predictive indicator of a high performing team was psychological safety. And really what it means is creating an environment where your people feel safe to show up as they are, where they can ask uncomfortable questions, they can point to something that may have been missed, they don't fear retribution for their, for their uh, unique opinions. And the other part of this too is in, a, in an unsafe environment, it's not just the dissenting challenging opinions that we miss out on, but it's also the opinions and ideas that are creative and innovative. So it's the great ideas and the bad ideas or the challenging ideas that le get left on the table in silence. And that's, a, that's a, a big mistake for organizations. And especially now where we need everybody's input, uh, every single person needs to be adding some value to the business, questioning the decisions that we're making, providing intel from the marketplace, pointing out some weak spots or some gaps that the senior leaders might not be aware of. So the companies that a few years from now that come out of this the strongest, I can almost guarantee you they're going to be filled with courageous discussions because the leaders created a safe environment. And there's a, there's a few things that you can do to get on that path of creating safety. Uh, one of them is not faking certainty. And this comes back to what you asked at the top of the discussion, Quinn. It can be really alluring to want to have all the answers for our people, to be that incredibly inspiring, confident, courageous leader that knows everything, but it's just not possible. And even outside of a pandemic, there's so much uncertainty in the external business environment now that we just can't have all the answers. So the worst thing you can do is fake certainty. So communicate with your people the things that you know, the things that you don't, the challenges that are in front of you, the plan that you have, and some of the shortcomings with that plan. That will help to not only increase the credibility in you as a leader, because you're now honest and open, but also create an open environment for people to challenge if things are not working according to plan. A second thing under creating safety is expressing fallibility. So admit when you screw up. It's counterintuitive, it's difficult, but I can guarantee you that people will start to respect and admire you more if you become a more fallible leader. And then ask your people intentionally how they see things. So in safe work environments, leaders are constantly polling their people, asking them questions about how do you see it? What's working? What's not working? What do we need to do differently? What do we need to do less of? What can we do more of? From your perspective, what are the things that we haven't addressed? What are the things that we should address? But the quality of the questions that you ask your people will be directly attributable to the quality of the responses that you receive. The second thing under courageous leadership then is optimists perish. And we come back to uh, another little analogy. And it's that I think it's something like 70% of car accidents happen the closer you get to home. And I think this is a real risk right now for companies as we're getting closer, I think, 
to the end of the pandemic than the start is to not take your foot off the accelerator, to not lose your focus on the things that matter, to not stop the cultural things, not to stop the conversations with your people, stay close to your customers. Uh, but it's the reason that car accidents happen so close to home is that we do lose our, our grasp, we, we lose our sharpness, our crispness. And we've come so far now to let that creep in, uh, complacency and all those kinds of things. So, you know, keep your foot on that accelerator in a way that, that your people can handle. Uh, also avoid fictitious finish lines. There's a real risk by communicating deadlines to your people that you have no idea will happen. For example, uh, if you were to say that by September, we'll be able to open up our offices again, customers can start coming back into the office, everybody can start working from the office again. There's a lot of risk with that. And the reason for it is when we set these fictitious deadlines and they don't actually end up happening, it's way more deflating psychologically than if we never had that fictitious deadline in the first place. So only talk about the things that you can be certain about. Anything that is uncertain, make sure you're communicating in, in that in such a way. And then confront reality. So make sure that we're actually talking about the brutal facts of, of what's happening in, in the business. Uh, the third piece to this, Quinn, is about being decisive. So when it, when it comes to uh, you know, having courageous leadership, we have to make decisions with less than full information. And this is one of the things that Amazon has done really well, is if they say they have a saying in Amazon that if they have 80% of the information to make a decision, they've waited too long. So when you have some of the information, it's important that we actually make some decisions. And the thing about making decisions and being more decisive is not that all of our decisions are gonna be accurate, but it spurs action. So when you decide to do something, everybody will galvanize, their commitment will be galvanized, will actually do something. And it's through doing something and taking action that will either make some significant progress because it was a good decision or, or we'll learn something about that decision that we can use to recalibrate. Um, and then, uh, and then you know, talent transitions is, a, is, is another one. So uh, what we're finding in, not just in this pandemic, but anytime that we've had any kind of a downturn, economic struggle, here's what we know about human beings. When we're struggling, what we start to do in our work lives is look for more meaning. So we want the work to, that we're doing to actually matter more. And I think there's going to be just a massive, massive talent transition when the pandemic is over and trying to find flexible work structure. Are you an attractive place for women and minorities to work at? I just think there is so much talent in those pools of the population that the companies that are structuring themselves very intentionally and deliberately to attract those kinds of people are going to have the leg up on, on the talent marketplace uh, when, we, uh, when we come out of this. Uh, we do have a question from somebody watching. Of the 11 points under the three approaches, what do you think is the most important and why? So my answer there would be whichever one you think is the biggest gap. That would be my answer. So I think it's different for everybody. And I think, you know, our intent is to provide enough of a robust outline in a, in a simple way that <clears throat> there's probably a gap here at least one gap for every company. So uh, where I would start would be actually to talk with your management team about 
the framework and try to assess. And we're actually going to make this available because it's, it is difficult to do. We've actually got an assessment. You can, a free assessment we're going to make available for you to do this with your management team. But look where the gaps are. The other thing I would suggest is look for the areas where you're really, really strong and make sure you shine a spotlight on those strengths for part, partly for pride and celebration internally, but also so you don't lose the, uh, the momentum on the things that are working really well. It's a good question. Can't take credit for it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, all right. Well, what are some traps that leaders fall into? Yeah. So there, there's a few, and this is the, this is the thing about building a business is most of the most of the powerful tools and approaches are really simple. Like I I don't think there's anything that we've talked about so far that is incredibly complicated, and that and that's really by design. But if these things are so simple why are so few businesses proficient in them, at least a significant amount of them? And, uh, and so the, there's three things that, that we're finding really get in the way of, of leadership teams being able to implement and execute at a high level consistently. Number one, there's too much choice. Uh, Camp, there was a study that was done about 15 years ago, Campbell's Soup, I think did it, where they were trying to figure out like the magical number to optimize uh, uh, soup sales. And so what they recognized, if there was too few choices or too many choices, they didn't sell as much soup. So there was an optimal uh, amount right in the middle. And I think that's what we're finding right now. When human beings are faced with too many options and too much choice, we choose nothing. We just stay as we are. We choose the status quo because it's comfortable. And if you go on Google, I mean, if you search Google, you could literally find really credible insight and information to almost any business challenge that you have. And yet, I think we're finding that the level of execution is not increasing in businesses as much as the available information is. So that's a big one. I know another one is misalignment. It's difficult for leadership teams to get themselves on the same page. Everybody has great ideas, but it, it can be really difficult, especially if you're not connected, if you're virtual, if you didn't have good rigor and process in terms of meeting rhythms and strategic planning sessions, as an example, lots of open, healthy conflict and dialogue before the pandemic, it's even harder to do it now. So kind of everybody's doing their best, but not necessarily in, a, in an aligned fashion. And then the most obvious one is time, Quinn. That's, that's probably the biggest, uh, the biggest trap that leaders fall into is that there just isn't enough time sometimes to do your day job and then learn about all these tools let alone the best approach to implement them and then stay the course on, on implementing them. And we are gonna try to make that journey just a little bit easier. We have put together a really simple and concise self-administered survey and assessment that you can send to all of the managers in your company. We're gonna make that available at the end of the show, just to try to help clarify some of the areas that you might wanna drill into and start assigning some actions to with your own management team. Right, to help them balance their own time. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Okay, and uh, what can leaders hope to achieve if they can apply some of these approaches? Yeah, and again, that's that's a complex it's a complex answer uh, because it's going to be something different for everyone, and and I and I think that uh, ultimately we might even want different things uh, out of this when when the whole thing is over. But I think at its core, I mean, small and medium enterprise really are the lifeblood of the economy. So it's incumbent upon us that we do everything we can to stabilize our businesses, uh, if not better, and help each other to do the same because there's just so much at stake right now. And I found it really, <clears throat> really timely, Quinn. So I think about Peter Warner. 
And most people here, like I would be shocked if anybody knows who Peter Warner is. And he just died on the weekend. He's a sailor from Australia. And if you know, if you know anything about Peter Warner, and I suggest that you Google his name when the session is over, he discovered uh, in 1966, uh, I think there were six boys that were on a deserted island off the coast of Australia for over a year. And so here's what happened basically, is these six uh, you know, troublemaking boys stole a boat, like a 24 foot boat off the coast of Australia to go for a little joyride one day. And a surprise storm popped up. And so the, uh, the sail and the mast on their sailboat broke. So they were stranded at sea for a few days and eventually landed on this island, a deserted island off the coast of Australia six boys with nothing with them other than this broken down boat and they survived for well over a year until Peter Warner discovered them in 1966 and the thing that struck me about this story was the six boys that were stranded you know they were helpless they were scared they were hungry they didn't know if they were going to make it but what they did is just focused on the simplest of things that they could control so what they, what they did right out of the gate is they started catching and eating fish, they started eating coconut, and they started eating bird eggs. And that sustained them for about a month. And as they got a little bit more confidence to explore the island, what they then realized is they were on a deserted island that used to have over 500 inhabitants, but they had all left in the 1800s. So that then gave them a little bit of life to then find other ways to sustain themselves. So they actually found more shelter. They found chickens. They found tools and and uh, even uh, like hunting uh, hunting gadgets like bow and arrow and whatnot. So they could start hunting for, uh, for for bigger food. And so they got so comfortable on the island, they actually built a badminton court, a makeshift some makeshift shelters, and a uh, a weight room. They were even they even had a bench press machine that they built. And the thing that occurs to me from a business perspective is we might not know how this is all going to end, but if we just look after the things that are directly in front of us that are relatively in our control, it buys us time to find another day. And that's, I think, what we need to do right now. So if we're struggling, just do what we can to learn and earn another day. And hopefully everything that we execute on now that might just seem really simple and basic will allow us not only to survive another day, but will allow us to find new information, new tools, discover new resources that are available to us to continue to make us stronger. On the flip side, if your business is doing really well, it's incumbent upon us to continue to focus on the execution piece so that, again, we avoid complacency. We don't miss opportunities that might be staring us right in the face for even more sustainability, better growth, more efficiency, an even stronger position as we come out of this. All right, it's time for everyone's favorite segment, three in 30. So three things that leaders can do in the next 30 days to apply uh, some of today's approaches. Yeah, so try to, uh, try to sort of boil it down to what I think are, are some essential ones. And, and so the first thing that I encourage leaders to do is to practice curiosity and genuine curiosity. So really start, if you're not already, engaging with your employees in tough questions, asking them for blind spots, asking them how you can help better, asking them things that you should stop doing, should start doing, but really start to practice the art of genuine curiosity. 
no matter what you start to hear back, thank people profusely because the better job you start doing it now, the higher the quality of those conversations will be down the road. Uh, the other thing is define your only. So get together with your sales and marketing team, with your management team and try to figure out, is there something in the marketplace that we do currently or we could do that none of our competitors could promise and execute on? And if you can find what that answer is, start doing it. And then more than that, start to communicate it. And then the third one is become fallible as a leader. Start to become more comfortable admitting your mistakes, your missteps, things that you wish you had done differently. And it's uncomfortable and it's counterintuitive if you're, if you're not doing it already, but I promise it'll pay off in terms of the kinds of relationships that you're able to establish with your people, the credibility and the trust and the faith that you're an authentic leader that people want to work for and not just work for, but they're willing to give their discretionary effort to you and the organization and their colleagues to help figure out a way to come out of the downturn in the strongest position possible. Well, I can tell you as somebody who is an employee, when my leaders are more vulnerable to me, it is, it's a complete game changer in our relationship. And they're always going to get honesty mm -hmm. out of me after that. So it's a very good thing. Yeah. I know it's probably not easy for them to do, but uh, I would highly suggest it. Uh, okay, now we're going to put you in the hot seat a little bit more of, of sure. all the thing leadership disciplines you teach clients, which ones are hardest for you yourself to follow through? Yeah, so that, yeah, good question. Uh, one of our core values is live what we teach. And so this is something we, we really take pride in. I, I say quite often that our services are kind of like the, the Buckley's of management consulting. It kind of tastes awful, but it works, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and I think as much as I espouse the benefit and I enjoy hearing constructive feedback, it's always difficult for me uh, when, am I, when, I, when I have my ideas challenged or if there's something that I did that I, there's a blind spot and I, I, you know, I hurt someone's feelings or I stepped on something that I didn't realize or you know, said something or did something that it didn't land the way it was intended. And uh, it, it cannot always, uh, not always easy to hear that in the moment, but I, I do, the, the, the people I have the best relationships with in my life are the ones that I would call my loving critics. They're comfortable uh, telling me all of the things that I messed up on and, and uh, might not be aware of, but it doesn't make it easier to hear. It's, it still makes me feel defensive and that takes a lot of work for me to work around that. Yeah, I was just going to say, how do you react? Do you get defensive or do you take the time to let it soak in? Yeah, so uh, both. I say both. Uh, and I think for me, it's about progress. So I hope that I'm better at it now. I hope I, I show up less defensively now than I would have five years ago. So when I'm at my best, I think I'm, I'm patient, I'm calm, I'm understanding, I ask good questions about the feedback, I absorb it, I sit on it and reflect on it. Uh, when I'm at my worst, then I would show up impatiently, I would, uh, I would certainly be outwardly defensive, I would be justifying my position. And I know that's a mistake, but we're not always perfect, but I'm certainly working, uh, working on that. Uh, what do you think is the most important leadership skill right now? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think the fallibility piece, dealing with uncertainty is a, is, is a big one and nobody has a crystal ball. So I think, I think part of the answer here is in times of uncertainty, especially one of the places that we can make sound decisions from is our values. So I think it's really critical that leaders have a clear sense of their own values 
and companies have defined their values and use those as the compass in uncharted territory. And I think if you ask companies that are that have been making you know courageous decisions that have been decisive, they're often going to say we rely on our values to make those decisions. Um, the the other one, Quinn, that I think, and this this is not just leadership. I I think this is just for everybody right now. If we could all become a little bit more comfortable with healthy discourse, with healthy conflict, with uh, debate, and difference of opinion, I think the world would be a better place. Because I think what we're what we have found, um, you know, this last year has just shone a spotlight in in on all kinds of inequities and injustices in the world. And there are people that are fighting tooth and nail to bring change to those injustices. And there are people that don't necessarily think those are as bad or as important or as prevalent as they might be. But if we just stay in our own camp and our own corner, I don't think meaningful change happens. And I've never had a conversation with a person in real life with a different perspective that didn't actually go fairly productively. And I think we, we're getting into these traps of having these soundbite conversations on Twitter they don't do many of us justice and it only inflames things and creates more defensiveness and more conflict and increases the divide, not bring it together. But I think if we can just get more comfortable with people that are disagreeing with us, I think the world will be in a better place. Uh, no, never mind leadership in general. Yeah, social media will help if, if we could all be a little bit kinder on social media, I think, and a little bit more patient. Um, I do have a question from Tiffany. Uh, how can you promote courage in an organization? Uh, demonstrate it yourself. Uh, I mean, I think we have to go first as leaders. So the environment that we want to create for our other, for, for our people, if we are not modeling that ourselves, it's going to be very difficult for anybody else to do it. I think the other part of it is, you know, where, where does courage come from? Uh, it comes from a lot of places, but one of the places it comes from is, right, is taking the step over that barrier where you're afraid to fail, but there's something that's compelling you to take the risk in general. One of the things that really gets in the way and, and kills courage in organizations is the way that we treat mistakes. So if mistakes are something where the instant reaction of leadership is to go on a hunt for blame, because that's often like internally and physiologically when there's a mistake, we want to keep ourselves safe so we find someone to blame. That's prehistoric operating uh, patterns, and we know better now. So when mistakes are happen happening in the workplace, if we can treat those as learning opportunities, depending on the, the kind of mistake that was made, we might actually want to celebrate mistakes and thank our people for making them. And if you can start to do more of that, people will magically, you know, magically become more courageous. Yeah. And I mean, the sun will always come up the next day. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. I know it's you know, for most of us, not <laughs> always, but yeah. It always will. <laughs> but yeah, just but yeah whether we're there to see it, whether we're there to see it, it's a different story, but yeah, you're right. It, it will uh, always right. come up. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I always tell myself, even in TV, when yeah. you make a mistake, and those are big mistakes that people see, the sun will come up the next day. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's all that's, that's all my work. It's back on you to do more work. Yeah, sounds good. So, you know, I think, you know, in closing, Quinn, uh, I was reflecting on this over the last couple of days, and by the time the pandemic lets up meaningfully in Canada, we are basically going to have lost two years of our lives. Right, and and I know it's not a complete loss. Uh, complete loss. I mean, there's 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 been learning, there's been growth, there's been a lot of struggle, but we really have lost 
most of the things that we had before the pandemic in terms of personal relationships and connections and lifestyle and uh, just you know leisure time and and just connecting with people that we care about deeply i mean i haven't i haven't had a a, a mom cooked dinner at my parents house for you know a year and a half and we've lost that time and i think coming out of the pandemic i keep questioning myself like how are we going to use our remaining years because of the years that we've just lost and are we going to be more intentional about that time or are we going to approach life with sort of the same general malaise and haphazardness uh, and so almost like, you know, accidental, uh, accidental living uh, that some of us are, and I think all of us are guilty of at some point. So my hope is that we are just a bit more intentional with how we spend our time, how we connect with people, how we build relationships, and maybe the courage that we show uh, and the conviction that we have for the things that we really believe in. All right. Well, Jeff Tetz, thank you so much. Yeah, Quinn, thank you. Well, what a pleasure to do this with you here today. And uh, I, we appreciate your time and your energy and your investment into this. So uh, this is really fun to do this with you. And I, and I hope uh, I hope it was enjoyable for uh, for you as well. Yes, I learned some stuff today, too, which is always important. Right on. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So I, I want to, uh, as we close, thank everybody for joining us today. And as a way to stay connected over the spring and summer months until season four launches in September, you can find Quinn on Twitter for all of her business advice now, right? And of course, all the amazing sports stories and coverage that she provides on Global News. If you've got questions or comments for us, you can find us at info at unleashresults.com. And please follow us on Twitter at Unleash results and these episodes themselves this one in particular and all of the previous episodes from the three seasons that we've done now are available on our website at unleashresults.com and then after the show today we're giving away as Quinn mentioned a $50 shop local gift card all you have to do is check out the bonus offers when the show is over you'll automatically be entered into the draw when you click the box and that $50 gift card can be used for any local vendor of your choosing. So get those uh, get those entries in and we're going to make that draw over the weekend and announce the winner either tomorrow or Monday. And then if you're ready to take the next step, as we said, the, the most challenging part to applying some of these frameworks and approaches is not the knowledge and, and capability. It's where to start and it's where do you choose and what's the most efficient process? So we want to make that next step easy for you. So you can check the box in the bonus offers and we will actually contact you about administering a self-assessment to your own management team on where some opportunities to leverage some of the approaches that we discussed today might reside. And thanks for being part of the fun. You know, we did that. We launched this a little over a year ago. I don't think we ever imagined we'd still be doing it, much less have over 5,000 registrations and closing in on 6,000 YouTube views. 500 new companies from around the world have joined our leadership community. We've given away $1,600 in books. So there you go. There's some rich and deep learning just through the book giveaways. And uh, we've delivered over 60 books around the world, places like Ireland and India. So the world has certainly gotten a lot smaller in some, uh, in some contexts. And we want to give everybody joining us today a chance to register early for season four, where you're going to have the first opportunity for the announcement on the season four guests that we'll start to make towards the end of the summer. And again, low, we've, we've gone global. So we've had people from the Philippines, from Russia, from Argentina, from South Africa, Singapore, and India, all over the world, people have been joining into this leadership community. And, and it's a beautiful thing 
I don't think I've ever found a problem that the right group of people can't solve. And uh, so that's certainly been the case with this, with this community. And you've brought us a lot of joy and a lot of, uh, a lot of fulfillment along this way throughout a tough year. So thank you, everybody. Until then, be the best version of yourself you can be and never underestimate the chance to make a difference in somebody else's life as a leader.